Psalm 139. We've been in a series called Summer Playlist. We use that name because essentially for the children of Israel, this was their songbook. This was their uh, Spotify, if you would. They had uh, lyrics that were written, uh, given by the Holy Spirit. But there were also musical notes that accompanied the book of Psalms. 150, David wrote the most of them. uh, But they've been written over centuries of time. And there were songs that they would sing out to the Lord, about the Lord, uh, experiences they were having and how even moments of difficulty, how God had saw, saw them through. Today's psalm is a psalm about David really crying out, search me, O God. The whole psalm is a prayer as he recounts all the ways the Lord has blessed him. He mentions his hand upon him, and then he wraps it up with a petition. And I think it's an appropriate prayer that David uh, cries out to the Lord at the very end. It's a song that celebrates the characteristics of God, but not in terms of a theologian, but just a a, a true worshiper of God, one that has such a heart for the Lord, even as the scriptures confirm, David was a man after God's own heart. And so he shares these truths about God's omniscience. He's an all-knowing God. He's omnipresent. He's always everywhere at all times and with us, present with us. But again, he shares it from uh, language and a heart that is a seeker of God. So he begins this psalm, we'll take it kind of section by section. Uh, David begins this psalm by declaring a very comforting truth to him. And the first is this, that God knows me. David says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So David begins by this, sharing this truth. God, you know me. God, you know everything about me as you searched me and known me. It's interesting when we uh, meet people You know, you always want to give, uh, you can never make uh, another, what, first impression, right? We always want people to see us at our our best, whether that's a job interview, so you show up in a tuxedo, uh, if you, you know, going out on your first date, uh, those of you who are married, do you remember that? Or maybe you've been on a date before, or maybe you're a young person, you're thinking about like, hey, how how many different times does a person have to retake a selfie, right, before they're willing to put it out there online? That's one way we know that we have a major problem. Problem, right? We're always wanting people to see our very best. And so if you're dating, you know, like, oh, I want to make sure that I chew my food properly and I wipe my mouth and I don't open my mouth when I don't talk with food in my mouth. All these things that our mothers taught us like to be presentable. It's interesting though, as you get to know a person, they start to see your inconsistencies. They start to see your flaws. They start to see the imperfections and the unattractive traits. And that's what we're fearful about is if they see the real me, will they actually like me and want to be around me? And will they love me? If they knew what was really I was all about in and out of my life. But the Lord isn't fearful of that. He sees He knows every detail of our lives and he still chooses to draw us close to him. And this is what's mind blowing for David. God, you know everything about me and all about my life. He knows my actions, my sitting down, my rising up and everything in between. 
In verse 2, he talks about how, God, you know my thoughts from afar. He knows what I think about. He knows why I think about it. He knows my motives behind what I would think about, what you would think about. God knows you and I better than we know ourselves. That's probably the hardest knowledge in this life, right? Have you ever had a conversation with someone? You're like, if you could just see like what you do is like offensive. And like, that's not offensive to me. Like, yeah, you're deceived, right? We, We say they're delusional. Forget about the other people. How about our own selves? Self-deception. Knowing ourselves is probably the most difficult knowledge. Have you ever asked a question to yourself? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? In that moment, like if I could go back and change it, I would. Because I'm so frustrated with myself. Why? 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 What was my motive? What was behind it? Why would I do that? Why would I say that? David says, God, you know all of that. In verse 3 and 4, he says, you know all my day's activities, even the words that I speak before I even utter them. In verse 5, David acknowledges that he's not uh, not on his own as he sort of carves his journey throughout earth. I love what he says. The New Living Translation reads it like this, verse 5. You go before me and you follow me. You hem me in. He says, you place your hand of blessing on my head. When David says, you hem me in and you're before me and you're, uh, you're, you're in front of me and you're behind me, it's like, you've encompassed me, Lord. You've put a protection about me. It's like where we get that idea that Job ta- uh, in the book of Job, we read about how Satan basically complains to God, you put a hedge about him. I can't get to him. There's a protection, David says, that nothing comes my way without the Lord's permissive will allowing it to happen. He said, and then it, and then it just sort of blows his mind. The Lord, your hand of blessing is on my head. God's protective hand. David is secure. We find in scripture uh, those moments of blessing, whether it would be, you know, Jacob blessing uh, his child or, or, you know, another patriarch. They would place a hand on them and, and, and pronounce a blessing over them. It's as if David has in his mind that literally God's hand of blessing was upon his life, his hand of salvation upon his life. Jesus tells us, Something interesting about the hands of the Lord. He says, in John chapter 10, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. David says, Your hand of blessing is upon my life. We read that his hand of salvation is on our life and that no one can steal you and I, snatch you and I away from his hand. My salvation is in his hand and his grip is very powerful. It provides some comfort. He says, it's so wonderful for me to know all this. In fact, it's beyond my ability to comprehend that God, you know all this about me. It's too wonderful that the creator God would know me, see me, and place his hand upon my life. This is where he's speaking of God's all-knowing, his, his omniscience, if you would, of the Lord. And then he continues this prayer and he says, not only God, number one, do you know me, but number two, you are with me. God is with me all the days of my life. He says in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make 
my bed in Sheol, or the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, uh, uh, the beginning of the light, if I were to go beyond the speed of light, he says, if you would, uh, even there, uh, excuse me, you, and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. God, you know everything about me, and God, you are with me. There's nowhere that I could go away from your presence. When David asks a question in verse 7, <clears throat> it's a question, the answer is nowhere. There's no scenario that my life could find itself in that God isn't present with me. There's no place or location that I could go where God isn't with me. It's kind of a scary thought when you think about if you're choosing to do things that are just like wrong and <laughs> dishonoring to God. And um, Does it freak you out a little bit to know that like everyone has like a ring camera out in front of their house and they can see you like walking around and stuff like that? If you like, I saw my neighbor, uh, someone wrongly delivered food at her house. At midnight, I see my things go off and I see her take the food out and put it on the curb like, like we had ordered it. So I went out and I moved it closer to her side of the curb. You, it, it was kind of weird. I'm thinking to myself, like, this is a little creepy, right? Think about that. You see people coming in front of your house. Um, I also see people breaking in my car, so that's kind of convenient. But the Lord sees all, and he's always everywhere at all times. There's no place that we could go, no scenario that we could get away from God. I wonder if sometimes if David wanted to, uh, if he wanted to get away with, from God, there were certainly moments of, of um, backsliding in his life. But I think that for the most part, when David's praying this, <clears throat> it was a comfort to him. God, there's no place that my life could get to, no scenario that you're not actually there present with me. If I go up or down, if I go to heaven in the heavens, or if I make my bed in the grave, even at the speed of light, behold, he says, you are there. And the hand of the Lord, verse 10, is still upon me to lead me and to guide me, and your strength will support me. And even the darkest night is not able to hide me from the Lord. God can always see, and God is always present, is what David is saying. I wonder if, uh, if, if it was this passage that sort of inspired Paul when he was writing to the church in Rome. In chapter 8, when he talked about how nothing could separate us from God and certainly couldn't separate us from his love, when Paul declares, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The writer of Hebrews quotes Jesus as saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a great promise. Think about what David's meditating upon, what they sing about as the, as the children of Israel. God, I want to declare in a, a, a song of praise that you know everything about me. You know my hurts. You know my needs. Jesus even said, before you even pray about what you need, God already sees your need. God's already there. There's no place you could go 
Lord, what if my life ends up in this spot? He says, behold, you are there. God is with us. And he continues this, this prayer as it unfolds the ways of, that the Lord has been with David. Where he talks about, God, you not only know me and, and are with me, but number three, God, you formed me. You made me and you shaped my days that I live out on earth. God formed me and my ways, he says in verse 13. <clears throat> he says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, <clears throat> they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. David's prayer was, Lord, you, you, you know me. God, you're with me. And God, you're the one who created me. That you created me with purpose and you've carved out my life for me. Like, Lord, you've already laid out the path that you are calling me to walk upon in this world. Even from the beginning of my life, David says, you've known me and you've been with me. What an awesome truth, right? You knit me together. You formed me. When the kids were little, <clears throat> we used to take them to Build-A-Bear. You guys you know that store? It's like in the mall. It's like in malls everywhere. I think we still have like, like a million Build-A-Bears like up in our attic right now uh, that like some rats are probably like playing with or something like that. Um, and, uh, and in fact, I think we actually have Caden's first Build-A-Bear. It was named like Berber Bear because it looked like Berber carpet and it's just filthy like Berber carpet uh, gets. And, uh, and so they would ask us questions as they got a little older. Uh, hey, mom and dad, you know, mommy, daddy, where, where are babies made? And I'm like, well, it's kind of like Build-A-Bear a little more detail involved, but it's sort of the same thing. That's sort of how God makes you, right? And then they like, yeah, uh, first week in public school, they're like, you lied to us, mom and dad. <clears throat> God is involved in all the details of my existence. Every part of your life, how God created you, right? He, he, he made you and I with, uh, with purpose, with, um, with love and care, and everything about your life, the way you look, your personality, all of that, David intertwines into this praise to God. God doesn't make mistakes, right? Parents will say to us, you know, or, you know, hey, you know, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have had you. And what a, what a shameful thing. In fact, my wife, she taught uh, in some schools uh, in, uh, uh, in, in this community, had a student whose mother said it in court. I should have aborted you. I wish I'd never had you. Uh, I mean, that's, that's 
for those of you who are educators, I don't care where you're teaching at, uh, you know kids carry that kind of pain around. Uh, my mom used to say, uh, there's four boys in my family. My mom raised uh, all of us on her own. Uh, she used to say, uh, we planned the first two. The good Lord planned the last two. I'm a part of the last two. And, and then I'm like, you know, the, my brother in between there, I'm like, Lord, uh, mom, don't blame God on, on, on him. That's not fair to the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great brother. Fearfully and wonderfully made. It was cause for praise for David. My inner parts it speaks of like the seat of emotion uh, and affection. Your body, your personality, the invisible, invisible parts of me, the visible parts of me. Each one of us is so unique. And, and what we know from scripture in the New Testament, that as you, as you surrender your heart to Jesus and you become born again, you not only have a uniqueness about your life, the way you look, your personality and your strengths, but then spiritual gifts become something that becomes unique about you and how God wants to use you in this life. It's so amazing what we know about the development of a child uh, in the womb. You know, the, we didn't have apps. We were just like going, you know, like, oh, I don't know how big it is. I'm like, I don't know, like a Pepsi Coke can or something like that. Now they have apps like your child is the size of a walnut right now. And then, you know, like a kiwi, I think. It's always like cool, you know what I mean? Very healthy, very in, you know, names and stuff. Uh, and uh, and so, so on and so forth. It's awesome to see our kids, uh, you know, going through pregnancy and uh, bringing a, a, a baby into this world. Uh, a lot of people get confused about when life begins. David lets us know, right? You saw my unformed substance. There were three, uh, there were three leaders in our community that were having a discussion about this. There was a, a priest a rabbi and a scientist, and they're having a discuss, discussion about when life begins. The priest said, life begins at conception. The scientist says, listen, you just get that from church and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you, life begins at birth. And then the rabbi spoke up and he says, listen, you're both wrong. Life begins when the last child moves out and the dog dies. That's when life really begins. <laughs> Obviously, I'm, that is not a real conversation that happened in our community, but... The truth is, conception. Here David says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, right? Your eyes saw my unformed substance. It's so fun to watch a couple. I, we have, I have a little note. We got pregnant. Um, I have no idea how it happened. Uh, our first year being married, I was still in school. I worked at People's Church uh, as an intern in the youth department. I was at uh, Hume Lake after our first anniversary trip. We went to Carmel for our year one. I was at Hume Lake and some guy comes up to me on a bicycle at Hume Lake with a note. We still have the note in the baby book. We kept the baby book for the first child. The second one is sort of empty and we don't even have one for our third child. Does anyone else in that same boat? They're like, oh my gosh, pictures, creative memories, cut them all out, whatever they used to do. This freaking iPhone so amazing. It's like I have all the videos of my third kid, but nothing with my first, nonetheless. Um, it's, uh, um, what was, oh, here we go. Call home, urgent. And I'm like, somebody's dead, right? And then I call on a payphone. I had to call Tammy. And I call her up. All these youth kids come. All the leaders come because, gee, it's emergencies. Dinner time, Gordon got a note on a bike guy, right? And, uh, Call Tammy, she's in tears, somebody's dead. Turns out it was my finances, it was my financial future that was dead. She says, 
were pregnant. I'm like, how could you betray me like this woman? I can't believe. She's like, you can't say anything because my parents haven't found out yet. And I hang up the phone. I felt like I was like 15 years old. I was 22 years old. And everyone's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, the rest of the camp, I have to walk around with this knowledge. I'm going to be a dad. And it was just like crazy. I remember all of our kids like that. I remember where I was when we found out Austin and Whitney were having a baby. You know what's so amazing is that God knew before you moms and dads knew. As he begins to knit that child together, that two cells that split apart, already God at work, already his hand upon that child. Every day, he says, of my life, in verse 16, was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Your life, my life, was ordained in heaven, but to be lived out on earth until you take your final breath. That becomes where you and I have to make a decision. Paul tells us that that we're saved by grace. It's not our own doing. It's a gift of God that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your life was ordained in heaven. God has a plan for you to live out on earth, but you can actually veto it. That's a crazy thing about like, like this, this world. You have been given a great gift, the gift of free will, the gift of volition. Do you want to walk in that path? David says at the end of this prayer, Lord, I want to be on that everlasting path. The one that you've carved out for me. And this is what David's praying here. He says, your thoughts about me. If I were to count them, have you ever been to the beach this summer? If you haven't, go grab a, go to Home Depot, open up a bag of sand, hold it up there and just start letting it drop out. All the sand in the world, David said, is, is as often as the Lord thinks about you. It could be thoughts, it could be plans. As Jeremiah 29 is a, another uh, same sort of understanding and concept where Jeremiah says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. David says, if I were to count them, it would outnumber the sand. What love and care from the Lord of heaven and earth, that he would be so intimately involved with every detail of our lives and carefully planning out how you live your life. To think that that's who God is. It was maybe some night he was up pinning some of these psalms as he looked over the sort of the landscape of his life, if you would, thinking about God, you were with me there. And when I was on the run from Absalom, you were there. When I was in a cave that Saul was trying to kill me with the armies of Israel. When I was one of his commanders of the army, you were with me in that cave. God, you've been with me all the days of my life. And then he says, and when I awake, you're still with me. Lord, when I'm asleep, you're there. When I awake, you're with me. It was mind-blowing to David. It amazed him. He stood in awe of this and he had such a grateful heart that was filled with praise to the Lord is why he actually ends the psalm in a way where he essentially says now, Lord, my desire is to follow you. Number four is 
is God knows me, number one. God uh, is with me, number two. God formed me, number three, and my days. But now, number four, God desires my full surrender to him. Listen what David prays. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. That kind of like made a, that was a shift in the psalm, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> like, you're, Lord, you're with me, and when I awake, you're there. And Lord, slay the wicked, oh God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you, in verse 20, with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. His, he ends with a petition. And sure, he mentions things like, God, you're going to destroy all the wicked in this world. All the wrongs will be righted one day. And what David is concerned about here is, Lord, I don't want to be in that company that is against you, that opposes you, that's living their lives in such a wicked way, dishonoring you. In verse 19, it, it, the issue that David might have been prompted to pray this prayer is that he was surrounded by the ungodly. So David shows his loyalty to the Lord. Lord, I hate what you hate. I hate the evil that is in this world. The things that grieve your spirit, grieve my spirit. And I acknowledge one day you will bring judgment. David says, what you oppose, I oppose too. David is living a different life, and he wants to keep it that way. He's living a separate life, and he wants to keep it that way from the ungodly. It's something he mentions in Psalm 1 that we began this series this summer in. Paul writes about this to the church in Corinth. He says, gang, your life is dangerously getting meshed and close to the life of this world. And he says, and he quotes an Old Testament prophet, he says, come out from their midst and be separate from them, declares the Lord. David's concerned about the justice of God, the glory of God, but it's not just what's going on, on the outside. He's concerned what's going on in his inner life. And that's why he wraps up this prayer with such a personal uh, meaning. Lord, I hate the evil in the world, but with a greater intensity, I hate the evil in me. Right? That's why he wraps up, Lord, you've searched me and known me, but then he says, Lord, I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer. What's going on inside? What's happening in my inner life? Because I want to make sure I'm on the everlasting path. Lord, I don't want anything to come between us. For David, this isn't, Filling, uh, filling in the blanks of a religious life. Like, this is how I live my life. I'm religious. I go to church. I do all the right things. For him, it's about a personal connection with God. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship with our creator. That's why Christ came, is to redeem us from our sins so that we might be in a right relationship with God. It's, it's where we use the terminology that it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. David's concerned about that. That ought to be one of our greatest concerns in life. Lord, is there anything that's hindering me from staying close to you? I don't mean like, 
How close to the edge of sin can I get and still get away with it? I mean, Lord, how far can I get away from that cliff? Because God, I don't want anything to hinder my fellowship with you. My relationship with you is primary. So he says, search me and know me. He ends this prayer the way it began. See, God knows me better than I do. He warns us over and over to not be self-deceived. Do you know that in Scripture? If you read through your Bible, and it says, like, do not be deceived. Why would God give us warnings about that? Because we're so easily deceived. Our hearts are deceptive and desperately wicked, Jeremiah tells us. Sin is deceptive, right? Paul tells, tells the, the, the church in, 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 uh, in Rome, do not, uh, do not be you know, deceived by sin's deception. Satan is a deceiver. We have a trifecta of lies that happen around us, right? Our hearts are deceitful. Satan is a great deceiver and liar. And sin is deceptive. You think it's not going to actually cost you as much as it ends up taking away from you. So David is aware of that. says, Lord, I realize that I could be walking in deception and not even know it. Not even be aware of it. Paul says to the church in Galatia, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that shall they reap. If you plant apple seeds, guess what's coming up in the fall? Non-GMO. Apples. Apple trees are coming up. You plant cotton, cotton's coming up. You plant to your flesh and your fleshly desires, guess what? Destruction is coming is what Paul is saying. You you sow seeds to the things of the spirit and spiritual blessings will come. He says, don't be deceived. One area to make sure that we're not deceived in is eternal destiny. There are many that will stand before God. Jesus even quotes them saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do all this in your name? Busy people doing church things. He says, He will turn them away saying, for I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. I think the scariest deception is the people who are deceived thinking their eternal security is okay because they have enough church in their life. They're doing enough right things. I'm not as bad as that guy. Many have a false security sitting in churches today all across this globe. John says in 1 John Chapter one, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves and are not practicing the truth. Now you can see why David is so adamant about, like, this isn't about like, Lord, help me not to murder someone today. Lord, help me not to rob a bank or one of those trucks that drive around with a bunch of cash in them. So you can see how wicked my mind gets. <laughs> I'm like, babe, there's one right there. She's like, you need to stop it right now. Like, I don't know if I can, you know, if you're, if you're just joking. I'm like, babe, I'm joking, obviously. But come on, I could take that one. <laughs> just follow me. We'll go. I'm just kidding. I'm totally joking. I mean, that's one way for us to get some press as a church, right? Like, no, I'm kidding. I would never do that. Walk in darkness. I think that maybe our perception of darkness might be a little skewed. What comes between you and God? What are you putting first? If your career is an idol, 
It's idolatry. If your personal happiness is, trumps honoring and obeying God, that's a problem. David says, God, get it all out. I want all of it out because I don't want to be deceived. He says, try me, O Lord, as a refiner would test metal to reveal its impurities. He says, Lord, turn up the heat in my life so that all the gunk would get out of my life that I might be pure as silver and gold the way, God, you would call me. That's what discipleship is. It's an ongoing sanctification process. It's a scary prayer because if we utter this prayer today and say, Lord, search my heart, and he begins to reveal things like, I want this out of your life, and we're unwilling to actually make actions and decisions that honor that, well, then it puts us in a place where our hearts get hardened, and it's a dangerous place to be, be as a believer David says, God, I desire inside purity. What's a grievous way, a way of pain, anything that's offensive to you? He says, I want to be as far from the wicked as possible, and I want to be as close to you as possible. You know, John wrote to, the, uh, to a group of Christians, 1 John chapter 2. He says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. Literally, what he says was, stop loving this world. Stop loving this world. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. <clears throat> this is not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. After understanding all the attributes of the Lord, David is prompted to a life of obedience Here's the question. Here's a great question for us to sort of close on this morning. Do we want that kind of closeness with God? Is that where our heart's at as we wrap up the summer and head into the fall and, and all the chaos and craziness of busy schedules happens? Am I willing, are we willing to say, Lord, I just want to be close to you no matter what it takes, no matter how painful it is to extract those toxic things from our lives? Or are we comfortable with our sin? I find that when sin creeps in my life, unconfessed sin creeps in my life, I lose my appetite for the things of the Lord. I'm not thoughtful about being with God's people. In fact, I'm actually repelled and not want to be around God's people. I find my hunger for the word actually begins to sort of like dissipate. You know, hey, should you go to this men's gathering this fall? Eh, I don't know if I want to go to that. Well, you're the pastor. You have to go to that. Okay. <laughs> David says his request, man, it ought to be ours. Lord, search me and know my thoughts. Search me. Lord, is there something? You know, he says, and know my thoughts. It's anxious thoughts. Is there anything I'm not trusting with you today? Those are things that start sort of jabbing me a little bit. Am I not trusting you with something? The, the anxious thoughts... Lord, I'm worried about this. It means that I'm not actually giving it over to the Lord. I'm not trusting him with my life. David's already said the Lord goes before me and he's behind me. He's hemmed me in. What would I be afraid of? Lord, is there a thought of mine, an anxious thought that I'm not trusting you with in my life? Lord, is there a sin area of my life that I'm actually yielding to and giving way to? 
Is there something that has snuck back in my life? Lord, go after it, expose it, and remove it. And forgive me and remove all the crud that keeps me from experiencing all of you today. When he shows you something, you act on it. Even as we close in prayer and sing a last song, what a great prayer to pray. Lord, search my heart. What a great thing to muse upon this afternoon. Lord, what's an area of my life that grieves you? Is it the way I communicate? Is it what I allow my mind to meditate upon? Is it the, the types of um, activity that I find myself getting involved in? Is it a relationship that you want to kill? I don't mean physically kill that person, but I just mean like, can't have this person in my life. They're toxic to me. Every one of us is as close to God as we personally want to be. That's all on us. You can be as close to God as you're willing to be and you want to be. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for that. So when you and I pray, Lord, search me and know me, understand that he's already forgiven us. And when things pop up, you say, Lord, forgive me for that too. He says, draw near to me, James says, and he will draw near to you. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit this week. Listen to the Lord when he says, no, that's not for you. I don't want you to go in this direction. I don't want you to speak like that. I want you to go to them and ask for forgiveness. Like, be sensitive to the Lord. You know what's so crazy? Is that when you and I learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and we begin to make decisions based on what he tells us and speaks to us out of his word, we get almost like a, a, a closer connection to God and things become even more clear and even more um I guess even the, 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 his speaking voice becomes louder in our lives because we're actually choosing to walk in close fellowship with him. And maybe you're here this morning and we talk about, here's what David experiences. That's for a person who surrendered their heart to Christ. That's for a person who surrendered to him. For those who have never committed their life to Jesus, they're in the camp that David says, Lord, I know one day you're going to bring destruction. All of our sin has offended a holy God. All of our sin will be paid for. For a Christian, their sin was paid for at the cross when we had a substitute, Jesus Christ, where he took my sin upon himself and he took the sins of this world upon himself. But the only person who actually has their sin judged 2,000 years ago are the ones who've surrendered their hearts to Jesus Christ and allowed him to take over their life. But if you stiff-arm God and say, God, I don't want you to be a part of my life. I'm going to live my life my own way. You will face judgment for your sin one day when you die. That's a heavy tr statement. It's a true statement. Like, hey, Gordon's getting a little heavy. I'd rather be mad at me today than mad at me then. So you say, what do I need to do? Will you surrender your heart to him? You stop running from him. You allow him to come and take over your life and be the Lord and Savior of your life. Through the cross of Jesus, we can come to him for he bore all of our sins and he offers to each one of us eternal life. And we too can, like David, say, Lord, your hand of blessing is upon my life when we are made new and when we receive his forgiveness and we surrender our lives to him. Maybe that's something that you need to do today. What do I need to do to become a, a follower of Jesus? Maybe there's even someone watching today or listening on our podcast. You have to first admit to God that you're a sinner. And you ask him to forgive you and be willing to turn away from your sins. 
You believe that Christ died for you on the cross and, and you choose to receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord into your heart. Being a Christian isn't just things that you believe and proper creeds to actually uh, declare and to believe, but it's about a personal relationship. Jesus says, here I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he says in Revelation 3.20, I will come in and I will dine with them and they with me. It speaks of relationship. That's what he wants, but you have to open the door up. You have to be the one to say, God, I want you in. I want you to take over my life. If that's you this morning, right where we're sitting, you can pray and ask God to come into your life. Even as we all might utter the prayer, Lord, search me and know me today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, thank you for giving us an opportunity to read your word together. God, a, a rather large psalm, but Lord, so important to the story of our lives, God, to know that, Lord, you know us, you know my needs, you know my hurts, you know what causes me to worry at night. Lord, you're with me. There's no place I could ever go where you are already not there ahead of me, actively involved in my life. God, you made us, you knitted us together. Lord, you created us with giftings. You created us with uniqueness. Lord, all for your glory. And Lord, as David wraps up this prayer, Lord, he says, search me and know me. God, he did not want any grievous way. Lord, there may be some grievous ways in our lives today. Lord, there may be bitterness that we hold on to. It's a grievous way in your eyes. Lord, there may be, uh, Lord, idols in our life. There may be things that we put ahead of you. Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to to realign our lives with, with what is right and true in your kingdom, to live as kingdom-minded followers of Jesus, to be disciples of yours, to be an apprentice of yours. God, there may also be a person here this today, God. There may be one, there may be more, there may be people watching today. God, and they don't have a relationship with you. God, in, in, this, in this passage of scripture, God, they're the ones that don't have your hand upon their life, yet you made them. And God, you're calling them to know you because, Lord, you desire to put your hand of blessing on them. You desire to bring forgiveness in their life. You desire to bring uh, wholeness in their life and healing in their life. And it begins with their taking a step and surrender to you. Lord, speak to every heart today. Lord, David wanted to make sure he was on the everlasting path Lord, I can't think of a, a more important thing to get right than to know this morning beyond a shadow of a doubt that, they're on the, that we are on the everlasting path. God, that we are on that path that leads to eternal life. And that path begins, it's narrow. It begins with a person saying yes to you and choosing to surrender to you. Friends, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if, if you're here in this room this today, if you are here with us this morning and you say, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me today? I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be on the everlasting path. If that's you today, it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God desires that you might know him, that you might experience his life, abundant life, but it begins with you surrendering to him. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand. Put it up. 
Put it up and say, hey, Gordon, pray for me if that's you today. Anybody here today, you're ready to surrender to him. God bless you, man. Anybody else? Anybody else this morning? Man, he loves each and every one of us today. Desires that each and every one of us would experience his life. Anybody else today? Maybe you're watching on the video today. Maybe you're even listening to a podcast. Uh, for those of you that want to surrender to him today, I, I'm going to pray a prayer up here. You pray something like this in your heart. And the Bible says that Christ is going to come into your life and he will make you new, even as his word promises. Pray after me now, dear Lord Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. And today I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. Lord, today I choose to trust in you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, guide my life and help me to do your will from this day forward. Jesus, it's in your precious name that I pray. Amen.